This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? It's Roshan here. Welcome to a brand new episode of Inspiring Design. Today is episode 24, and we're here to talk about one of my favorite topics, design thinking, entrepreneurship, and innovation. It's one of the most hottest topics right now and influential in almost every single sector. The education sector is aligning with the 21st century skill sets, and design thinking is right alongside of this every step of the way. I'm personally a huge advocate of it, aligning my own approach across multiple facets like teaching and business and facilitation. So I want to hear from one of the experts. Let me introduce you to the guest for today. I have here with me Selena Griffith. Selena is is one of the senior lecturers here at the University of New South Wales in design thinking, entrepreneurship and innovation. She's been here at UNSW for over 20 years, and her specialization is in the social impact of design thinking and its systems change. She's the lady to learn from. Selena, welcome to Inspiring Design. Thank you. It's uh, good to be here. Can we start off with a little bit of background and a little bit of your story? Yes, I uh, studied industrial design um, here at UNSW in its first iteration and took that as a graduate um, on to work in design management roles in large um, corporates and also big international product companies. So mostly using it in product development Mm -hmm. um, and um, developing ways to gain um, user insight to have better market um, penetration uh, across multiple markets, not just in Australia, but globally. Yeah. And have you found that it's actually got different labels design thinking in itself? Well, back when I was using it, design thinking term was a really new kind of academic construct. And and so what was really happening is that there was this fluidity between marketing, uh, which was very much focused on the now, and design, which was focusing on the future, and psychology, which was about understanding how people may behave and how we can manipulate their behaviours, and um, ergonomics, a whole lot of different disciplinary practices that made sense to be married together and that sort of they've all evolved into this thing that we now call design thinking so it's been it's been around since about you know, if you look back at the history of design thinking it really started at, at, at the early sort of 1900s exactly yeah, yeah and, and it came from three different backgrounds it came from engineering it came from production and yep. it came from um, the need to look at how humans interacted with machines when they were making things to mm-hmm. lessen injuries and improve um, productivity there you go. I actually have studied the history of it, and I just find that that's why I asked a label question right up the start. And um, I think Tim Brown, he's the one who coined, you know, the design thinking as um, as as that label that's gone more popular now. But uh, in your expertise, if you had to define what design thinking is, what would that be? Uh, it's a systems approach to problem solving for me in the social sector. Mm-hmm. So it's how do we approach our understanding of how humans behave mm-hmm. within 
systems and how we can understand how those systems work in order to make effective changes to either human behavior or the system Mm -hmm. to get a better outcome for for the greater good. Yeah. See, that's actually very interesting because it's a little bit different to my understanding of it because you've got that, um, I think, interest in the social element. Mm -hmm. How does that actually impact the industry from your point of view? Uh, which industry? So any. Any industry. Well, look, if I look at my the design that I... If, if I'm working on a consulting gig producing some design, so if that, for example, I did a, a big design work for Vivid this year mm-hmm. and I had to think about, you know, we've got... You know, a couple of million people coming to look at it. Wow. Um, it's got to look good in the day as well as the night because half the visitors will come during the day. Yeah. Um, and most of the works, no one thinks about how they're going to look during the day. They only think how they look at night. Yeah. Um, what technologies am I using? Um, how am I going to make this? What time frame have I got? What budget have I got? So you're balancing all these different competing mm. needs in a design thinking context. Um, you're balancing the internally all the needs for the organisation and the client, and mm-hmm. you're balancing externally all the needs of the end user. Um, and if you're a good designer, you should also be balancing in the needs of the environment. Yes, we can't live on this planet with a bad environment. Yeah. <laughs> and you should also be balancing in the needs of um, the the general public that are you know, um, affected by whatever technology design intervention that you're making. Mm -hmm. And so for me, then I've created a system which I have to consider. So design is about nutting out how all those moving pieces need to come together to create the perfect recipes. It's like cooking, you know, Mm. you put all your ingredients together and you can cook or you can put all the ingredients together, understanding deeply what the people at the table are like and respond to and you'll create a magic experience rather than a hmm I see that (laughs) kind of experience no I actually like uh, the way you describe that because it it goes into it it is that detail isn't it that uh, that makes the big difference now how if you had to outline a model do you consider it a linear approach no I've always practiced design in a cyclical approach because Mm -hmm. it's a if you are a good designer you're not ever really designing for yourself Mm -hmm. you're designing for everyone and everything is always changing in relation to everyone and it sounds very obtuse but if you think about the economy is always changing fashion is always changing change is the only permanent change and and so you know a lot of people hate change but it's designer's best friend (laughs) we love change so you need to anticipate that change and then you need to bring that change as a desirable thing to your people that you're working with and um, often when you're working in a social impact context like I am change could be something that that actually um, can you know if if you're changing like the color of your iPhone um, because everyone likes green this week um, (laughs) it doesn't really impact heavily on a lot of people unless green's a really toxic color to make but um, uh, if you're changing the way you're providing a social service to a disadvantaged group of people Mm -hmm. you can't just change it you really have to be considered so this is where uh, human-centered design is really important and you will continually iterate your offering to make sure that it meets the needs of the group that you're working with. Yeah. Now, I'm actually very happy to hear that because that, in that definition now, it more aligns with how we've been approaching the practice because when we train teachers, we're in there understanding the requirements, putting ourselves in the shoes of the teachers. It's, it's that empathy element that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Now, 
what does that look like in terms of practice if we drill down to the details? So you're thinking, you're asking the design thinker, <laughs> the meta practice of design thinking. So yeah. I'm very much applied design thinking to my course design, mm-hmm. um, and I've written a lot about it. Yep. And I've developed a few models, um, and one of them I call the Nexus model, and it's a cyclical mm-hmm. model of education with students' feedback into the iteration of the next module. Perfect. Um, so it's a co-design exercise. Um, and so I, I always really need to understand who my students are, and I design in very early in the semester a, um, an activity asking them who they are. They do it before they come to their first class. Mm-hmm. Introduce yourself and tell us why you're here and why you want to be studying this course. So you're essentially getting them to develop the stakeholder personas. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and um, a lot of students say they find that quite an odd thing to be asked why are you here but it makes them think oh yeah why am I here but for me it allows me to understand that you know this particular group really has a preference to learn this so I can emphasize I can there's flexibility in my courses so that I can tailor it to what the group needs are yeah no I love that because I actually do that with my first years at um, at QUT in, in an architectural context, mm-hmm. just going around the table. I don't do it in a formal scenario. It's more just as an icebreaker, but to get that same validation and that information of why did you actually choose architecture? Was it because you love building design or was it because of someone, something said something or is it because your mommy told you to do it? I don't know. Like the <laughs> millions of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's it. It's very easy to make an assumption about the group of students you're teaching but as you know over time you'll have a different every cohort's different yeah and you know i've had a this semester i've had a really really insecure cohort it's not a bad thing it's just that they're not as sure about their skill sets and Mm -hmm. they need a huge amount of reinforcing so i've built some a lot of peer reviewing so they're getting additional feedback just to my feedback mm-hmm. and it's helping them constructively review their own work and that of others and that reflective practice is important in design thinking and when you've got a less confident group of students it's actually a really great way to build confidence but if I had a really confident group of students I might not be doing that I might be pushing them to uh, do a voluntary team exercise together or yep. to design a new tool or hack a tool um, so yeah it will depend on the competency yeah. level and the confidence level of the cohort yeah definitely and and that's I think really cool because this is actually something that I've written about as well that design thinking has as an educator there's it it can be taken as an approach and the subject content and I think the really cool work happens when those two align mm-hmm. and um, and I think that's where going from teaching towards that previous industry um, to industry 4.0 and changing the mindset of teachers, I think that's where the biggest battle is. Have you had any experience with that? Yeah, there's a couple of really interesting innovation projects happening here in New South Wales where Mm -hmm. um, they're running some uh, innovation labs with the Department of Education and they're doing it on a design thinking framework Mm -hmm. Uh, and I've met some of the people that are participating and it's very encouraging to hear how they are not only thinking and bringing design thinking Mm. into the curriculum, um, they want to extend that through to using design thinking for entrepreneurship with the students, Um, but they're now seeing that there's also value in them using design thinking in designing their their classes. They have less flexibility than we have here at an institutional level, Mm -hmm. but what inspires me is that students will now soon be coming to us (laughs) from these environments where teachers have 
use that. Um, there's also a new school that's recently opened up at Linfield called Linfield College. It's a public school and it has design thinking as part of their curriculum, a formal part awesome. of the curriculum. And it's really, it's this is their first year mm-hmm. uh, of student intake and I'm keenly watching how that develops. But I think having the design thinking in that um, secondary school context allows for much more agile um, thinkers and mm-hmm. innovative thinkers um, within those students and uh, also allows them to uh, explore more freely concepts and I like the idea that that they're expanding um, their thinking methods uh, rather yeah. than rote learning that they're actually becoming self-learners through design thinking. That's right and they don't actually have to then learn a brand new topic they've already got that foundational knowledge set up at a secondary level and then you can just yeah. boost them from there yeah well I think the idea is that you know these students instead of asking why will be asking why not and yep. that's a big leap and it's a really important one to make to become a you know, self-contained learner I love that actually and you mentioned the word innovation mm-hmm. and innovate a number of times already yep. how does it obviously it, it is there's a direct link right so how does it align with yeah. innovation so design thinking isn't the magic pill for innovation <laughs> <laughs> but if you can develop a design thinking culture i think uh, it's been you know documented quite clearly that you're much more likely to be innovative in your approach Mm -hmm. and I think that again that's because you um, acknowledge that there is a system in which you're working you understand the parts within the system which you can influence Um, if you have a good systemic understanding of your industry then you can see where the opportunities lie Mm -hmm. and then you can align um, your sort of product development or um, your innovation resources towards areas that you can identify that match with your capabilities as an organization so it becomes a really excellent strategic tool Mm -hmm. uh, for identifying opportunities for innovation and then because it's such a broad tool set and can be applied in many different ways Mm. it can help you um, innovate in services it can help you gain insights for product Uh, it can help help you gain insights in matching the two Mm -hmm. Um, so I think um, we're we're talking about you know there's design for strategy here but also um, the big problem that I see for most companies that take on this is that they do the strategy piece, mm-hmm. but then they don't do the design doing piece. And they yep. tick that, oh, we've done it, we've mm-hmm. done the IDEO thing, we've identified <laughs> innovation. And then they just go, yeah, we've done it. Yep. Uh, what they really need to do is then go and execute that project. Exactly. And there's also a lot of design in the execution. So I, my favourite model is the extended... Um, the double diamond Mm -hmm. from the British Council Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's because it is very simple Uh, it's cyclical it's stackable it's expandable and understandable by just about everyone Um, and I think it's the I think it's the strongest of all the design thinking models excellent that's good and I think there's actually um, syllabuses across different states taking that model on board exactly as a double diamond. Mm. Do you think the double diamond is a little bit outdated or suitable for the secondary level? Um, it's not outdated because it's constantly updated. So it's been recently updated and the, um, a couple of the team members who developed it originally were in uh, Sydney a few weeks ago and had a meeting with them. We looked mm-hmm. at the latest version of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's. I think it's every, every bit as useful as ever has been and as the discipline uh, sort of extends its knowledge, mm-hmm. um, it... 
uh, you know, it has this simplicity, but it can take on the complexity um, as our knowledge deepens. And you know, I think it's a it's a classic. It is definitely a classic, and I think um, what what you just said is a breath of fresh air for a lot of my listeners, being teachers, is um, they think that it, it 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 can be an outdated model, and there are millions and millions of different design thinking models out there, you know, with pretty graphs and pretty pictures. Yeah. But uh, I think it's the approach that's actually more important and understanding it's, the foundation. It's the divergent, convergent, and divergent thinking that is mm-hmm. really important, and that's the only model that really tells you about that. Yeah. Um, I I've studied all all the different models. Um, the I, I love Jeannie Laker's model. Um, it's great. I see huge amounts of shortcomings in the IDEO mm-hmm. because it's specifically designed for large American corporate land. It does not work well in other contexts. In fact, mm. every time you hear about a big corporate design failure in Australia, you can generally link it to an IDEO mm. <laughs> context. Um, and then it's really hard to get buy-in for a second bite at the cherry to, to get a, the proper cultural fit. So, mm. you know, when, when people are thinking about applying design thinking in any of their practice, doesn't matter what industry, you need to find what is culturally the right fit for you. So there's a bit of research to be done before you just launch in. And you know, because I teach people in the third sector about how to develop design thinking, um, but sort of cultures within their workplace and mm. how they apply it. And um, a lot of it, a lot of the time, they'll be contracting and contractors to deliver that. I sort of discuss with them what do you seek in a um, uh, you know, a consultant who's going to come in and run your design thinking activities. Mm-hmm. And, and I say to him, you know, it, it's not the person with the biggest brand name. Yep. It's the person with the closest cultural fit to your value set mm. who's, who understands what you're talking about and mm-hmm. is not going to sell you a set method. They're going to develop a method with you that suits your organisation. Yep. And that's the secret to successful design thinking, developing the right culture and the right tool set for your needs. Which goes back to that exact foundational value, empathy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so organizational empathy is a good thing. There you yeah. go. And obviously identifying a market and, and going through that innovation process and being able to identify problems and, and solutions like you mentioned before is, is almost what entrepreneurs are doing. Some people have it naturally, some people don't. Yeah. How does the link between design thinking and entrepreneurship come into play? The, so I'm going to take this from a social innovation perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so human-centered design toolkit is the best way for social entrepreneurs to really deeply identify with the or you know, empathize with the target audiences they're working with. So it's a very good marriage. And I think in business, the design thinking uh, is about deeply understanding user needs and wants and desires and how you align them to create the perfect product for them. Um, it's a practice that every Fortune 500 company does. Yeah, Some hit and miss. But they do, <laughs> and they don't necessarily articulate it. So they might call it, you know, um, waterfall, or they might call it they're doing agile or lean or whatever. And I, yeah. I just keep having people going, oh, we're doing lean design thinking. And I'm like, well, if it's, you're doing lean design thinking, you really actually offering anyone anything like <laughs> design thinking is fat mm, right mm. it's juicy mm-hmm. and it's ugly and cumbersome um but that's doing good research you're digging up the dirt you've yep. got to get in there and be willing to see and i think what a, what a lot of people find very confronting about the design thinking process is they have to acknowledge errors that they're making mm-hmm. um and fix those and so some companies get very uh 
unhappy with the design thinking process because it brings a few home truths to the Definitely. surface. Yeah. Um, but the companies that can embrace that and change, and this is why the whole systems analysis is great, um, systems part of design thinking is great, is when you're looking at a whole system, um, there's always going to be issues. So you just sort of make a list yeah. and start working through that. As I always say to everyone, you know, do a quick, um, you know, uh, environmental scan when you first come to an organisation as a designer mm -hmm. because the top five things that you identify aren't going to change as issues, mm -hmm. um, but you will start to become desensitised to them and not notice them after about three months. Yeah. They're your priorities to <laughs> change. Yeah. Um, so as a design thinker it's very hard to continue to remain fresh in an organisation <laughs> unless you continually evaluate and look for those opportunities. In a social context um, we're dealing with what we call wicked problems and sticky solutions mm -hmm. uh, which design thinking is really good at mm -hmm. pulling apart. So a wicked problem is a problem that whatever solution you throw at it is going to create more problems mm -hmm. and so you want to find the balance between solving enough problems and creating as few additional ones as possible yeah I mean the actual design process in a, in a more you know industrial conventional sense of architecture or spatial design or whatnot it still carries that same thing the more problems you encounter it means that you can design out those problems it's actually the same similar approach and mindset and I think that's I've found there's a lot of misconception because the design thing has the word design in it people think it's only for designers how do you overcome that <laughs> I, so this is what I say to you. Mm -hmm. um, would you go to a doctor or a medical thinker? Hmm. Well, it depends on the problem, right? Did you mean from a if you, treatability if, point If you of had view? an illness and you couldn't work out what it was, it was making you feel terrible, yep. you need to feel better, would you go to a doctor, doctor or a medical course. thinker? Doctor. Yeah, yeah, so you go to the designer who's a design thinker. Yeah. Design... Designers are educated differently to everyone else in an institutional context, in an educational context. Mm -hmm. We are designed to be risk happy, mm -hmm. um, but take calculated risk. And I think this is why industry loves design thinking because it's kind of like a formula that you can apply to to manage your risk in an innovation context. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's not done right, you're going to fail. So you want a, someone who understands it. So you want someone who has design training. You don't want the consultant who's gone and done a course for a week to now come and practice <laughs> their skills on you. That's right. And it's really hard to often, if you're not an expert, to dig through that um, mm. charade. So, you know, you want people, if you want a good set of design thinkers in, have a look at their CVs, see if they've got a design background and, and, and complex problem solving and mm -hmm. have won a few projects, yep. uh, executed a few good projects because they're the ones that will give you a good outcome. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And how do we facilitate that at a secondary level? Have you had much experience with that? Just because 21st century skills is a, becoming a yeah, massive think, element? I think that... Um, I often think, where does it fit? Mm -hmm. And it's being put into um, the sort of the manual arts um, and design. Because of that same problem design. that I mentioned before. It, yeah. It's got that design element, yeah. so it fits there. Yeah. That's, the, that's why I feel like it's not exactly... But if you... So I've, I've worked with some private schools in Sydney who've asked me to come in, so I, and, they, and they might be doing... Um, a unit in economics mm -hmm. on developing startups mm -hmm. and they'll bring me in to talk about design thinking in mm -hmm. startups. So I think there's many other aspects. This Design thinking in science is really interesting. Mm. Um, so uh, the neuroscience aspects of it, mm -hmm. um, the biomimicry aspects of it can be tackled. So the, you could bring the design thinking in as a 
an overlay for all the education that ties all your education together. So I think yeah. one of the things we don't do in secondary school is say, okay, we, we silo all the courses and mm-hmm. all the courses are studied separately. Mm-hmm. And then we ask them to integrate when they come here to university. Well, we should, maybe we could start some of that integrated, some integrated practice at secondary level mm-hmm. for students. This is actually very much aligning with what I teach my when we go on teacher training. It's exactly the approach that I'm mm. teaching them. And... I think that's the biggest barrier right now with because the classrooms and the faculties are segmented. If we're learning English, we're only learning English. You know, if we're learning design, we're learning design. But in factual terms, it would actually fall across almost every single element as a foundational approach. And I love that. That this is why it's one of my favorite topics. But how I think do you have much advice on how educators today at a secondary level or tertiary actually? can empower the next generation of future leaders to take that on. You know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see, like, entire school education, all the the educators at the school come together Mm -hmm. and just say, what is the student experience? What should it be? Mm -hmm. Um, And then how can we um, draw... Um, linkages between our subject matters. So you might be doing... I'm sorry, if I may pause you there, that is actually so powerful what you just said. Mm If you're listening, <laughs> teachers <laughs> student listening, experience. student experience, that's your end client. Start there. Yeah. I love that. Sorry. Yeah. I, I no, don't... No, no. <laughs> you're excited like a designer. I am. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a, it, it, I think there's so much potential in just saying, what do we want our student experience to be? That's right. And why don't you ask the students to be involved in that process? And I very much love the concept of peer-led learning. So when I was at high school, um, and this is a long time ago, one of the most wonderful things that happened to me was in year eight, someone gave me an Edward de Bono lateral thinking program manual. Mm -hmm. And they said, we want to run this at school. Do you Mm -hmm. think you could do it? Mm -hmm. I I don't know why they gave it to me. But that sent me on my design thinking path. So lateral thinking was the design thinking of the day in the business parlance. And I I got a whole lot of kids together from year seven and eight and nine. And we we worked our way through this manual. And then we thought, oh, hold on. This lateral thinking is really good for debating. And Mm -hmm. this lateral thinking is really good for commerce. And so we looked at, (laughs) we thought about all the other places we could embed it. And I think design thinking is very much the same. So... Um, why don't you co-design with your students what part of their educational experience? It's such an amazing and powerful way to gain student engagement. Can the, the greater community with the school be involved in this? So That's how, do, right. how do they want to link with the community? And then that can brings um, you know, industry and community engagement to the school and the school becomes, starts to become this centre for um, you know, different thinking or innovative stuff or exciting things going on. And it doesn't matter whether you're a well-resourced school or not. This is... Design thing is really doesn't cost Just, much to do. That's what I mean. That's <laughs> you I do it. Completely yeah. agree with that. And I think we recently we sent um, a group of, I think it was twenty four or twenty five year ten students, and we asked them to design think how to improve their classroom and their schooling school learning environment. Mm-hmm. And the ideas they came up with, and I swear to God, some of them are actual really good startup ideas that they can go and take, but. Others were actually identifying the big issues because it, it, there's no accountability for them to point out errors in the school. <laughs> they love doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and coming up with ways of how they could actually improve that. Yeah. And that's the design doing part. So we have right. to shift from just doing the design thinking to including the design doing or it's not yeah. worth 
our time. See, that particular school actually had a really good leadership team that was open to those errors and being able to be vulnerable with the student. And what their leadership team did was take away every single post-it note and read that. Mm -hmm. Whether they're implementing or not, I want to check back in 12 months' time. Yep. But uh, it's, it, it was actually quite incredible to see that relationship. And the students felt comfortable doing it. Yeah because the teachers were open to it. Yeah. So that's, I think, very powerful. And I think I just want to reiterate that I don't condone post-it notes. They're not, <laughs> they're not sustainable financially or environmentally. There are many other tools that you can use. You can, you yes. can. What are your preferred medium? Um, I just love a good piece of butcher's paper. Okay. Um, and um, I do Lego Serious Play, mm -hmm. um, which is a really good way to understand how systems work yep. um, when you've got silos and also break down hierarchies um, which is a good in a school context yep. um, I love uh, um, sort of doing um, you know, uh, uh, dramatage so mm -hmm. um, in design jams you can get people to act out a service and then you can work out how to improve it by having people jump in and change parts of that sort of story. Mm -hmm. Storyboarding, storytelling, storytelling yeah, yeah. narrative, Very powerful. drawing. Yeah. So there's lots of things you can do besides. Don't, if you don't have personal notes, don't panic. You can be a design thinker. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. How do you learn about design thinking if they don't know anything about it? They're, Where's the best place to go? But my favorite current... Um, uh, resource that's free and downloadable mm -hmm. is the design think um, DIY handbook, the Design Impact and You handbook, mm -hmm. um, which is about doing design for good. And I think again, at a high school level, kids love to do positive, empowering mm -hmm. projects. So if you're looking at it from a development perspective, they could be working with some um, yeah, environmental, local environmental project, or something with the council. Or, all those sorts of things and that's a really good framework so it's got all the tools nicely set out it's yep. very easy to follow yep. and like step-by-step -step guides on how to do it brilliant there you go and look i think we've learned a lot about it i think i've picked up some knowledge gaps in my own learning about design thinking today thank you so much selena do you have any last words or advice for i i've got my listeners are usually tertiary and secondary students mm -hmm. as well as educators and some design professionals so it's uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag but uh, in terms of being a design thinking expert, do you have any last words? Yes, we do all of our learning by making mistakes, reflecting on them and doing better next time. So don't just read the theory. Get out there and do it. If you don't do it right the first time, it doesn't matter. Just keep going until you get it feeling like it should be feeling. I love that. Perfectly, perfectly said and powerfully delivered. Thank you so much, Selena. Thank you.